series of drawing near and speaking of drawing near had a great week i know many of you were playing praying for the pastoral team as well as the pastors in our region and sovereign grace this week i can't thank you enough for that i think we had a tremendous meeting with god and with each other uh the 10 churches that make up the southeast region we were together uh, at a retreat center in florida and uh for three days just got to be praying and interceding for what God has for our churches, the different challenges that each church is facing, just ways that we can be praying together for them. I'm hoping to pass some of that along to you as we put it together, that you can continue to pray for the various churches. But thank you so much for participating with us this week. I think it was just a very meaningful time. Uh, I'm going to do something today. I'm calling this a drawing near workshop. And I hope... uh, I hope to give you an opportunity for you to just not sit and listen and that there's nothing wrong with sitting and listening. I hope when you come in here on a Sunday morning that you're postured for a whole lot more than just listening. I hope you're not somebody who just thinks that in an information age with the gazillion things you read every day that you're going to walk out of here and remember much of anything. Right? If I got some really bizarre illustration, you tend to hold on to some of those things. But if you're not writing anything down and if you're not going back and revisiting what you write down, you got very little chance that this meeting is having much of an impact on your life. And since, uh, I won't take a poll for this, since this may be the most amount of time during the week that you turn your attention in a consolidated way and you hang out and listen for God for an hour and you may not ever do another hour cumulatively or just at one setting in the rest of this week, well, this becomes... Uh, this becomes like a person who breathes air and lives underwater. This is your moment to come up for air before you go back down underwater. So if you're not going to breathe right now, you're going to be hurting this week, right? Now, hopefully you're doing a whole lot more than just this setting of being near to God. But it's pretty important that you're, you're getting something from God. So please take notes. We provide notes so that you can go back and review these things and be with God and pursue him further. But I'm going to highlight something this week. Um, I'm going to quote about five or six times from Tim Keller's book on prayer. I mentioned this book earlier in the year. Uh, I hope you're going to read several books this year in your walk with God because you want to know him more deeply. But if, if you're considering it won't be a lot of reading, this needs to be on the list. It needs to get done. It needs to find a priority place in your life. Uh, Tim is an outstanding pastor and writer. He will give you some thoughts that will God will severely use to further your intimacy with the Lord. Um, if it looks like it's an intimidating book, it's, it's, it's not an intimidating book. But read it in small pieces if that's what helps you to do it. But take time to do that. So I'm recommending this book for every Christian Uh, I think we've got some copies still in the bookstore. So if you're eager to pick one up, scoop it up on your way out today. Uh, But, you know, you guys, you can access this stuff as fast as anything from Amazon.com or those kind of guys. Let me introduce you to uh, meditation today. Drawing near through the vehicle of meditation and uh, and by way of a workshop, this, this is a pretty important element. If, if we're going to experience really, really drawing near to God, 
then it just can't be an, a, a, an abstract concept. There's going to have to be some practical things that you and I can do to actually see that occur. Well, meditation is that. And, and I'm going to liken meditation to, <clears throat> to getting on an elevator. All right? if, you, if you ride an elevator much, right? you pull up to whatever dress you're going to, and you walk into the elevator, and you turn and sea of buttons and you press one and think you've got it right, door closes. If it's a really good elevator, you're not sure if it's moving or not. You know, it doesn't jolt you around real bad. But, you know, sometimes you're wondering, you know, are we moving? Is, there, is, there any, is everything okay? Is a bit of a mystery? And then if you've never been to this place before, all of a sudden the doors open and, and, and you're in a different place, right? I remember uh, a number of years ago, I spent part of 1982, I think it was, spent part of my summer in Chicago for several weeks. And a friend of mine and I were downtown and visiting a building. We went to the Hancock building. At that point, it was one of the tallest buildings in the world. And so we go up into the Hancock building. We go inside. We find the elevator, press the the button, go all the way to the hundredth floor. And get out, and there's a uh, place where you can see, you know, you go out, to, I don't know what they call those things, but all the windows, and you can just see all around from the hundredth floor. <clears throat> well, it's interesting that, you know, we came up to the address, I think it's on Michigan Avenue, on into this building, still in the building, still at the same address, but when the doors opened up on the hundredth floor, how, how many of you know things looked very different in Chicago at that moment? Right, there's a, there's a first floor view of Chicago, and then there's a hundred for, uh, floor view of Chicago. And, and they're quite different. Well, I, I think that's what meditation does for us. You know, there's a first floor view of your life that you wake up in the morning, you face life on an everyday basis. But when you and I get into God's word and by the Holy Spirit, we begin to meditate, further consider bring our mind into a state of contemplation, have healthy discussion, ask good questions, be quiet and sensitive to God. That's all that's involved in meditation. It's like that elevator door closes. You might climb in your prayer closet and wonder, is anything going on? Is God here with me? What do I do? You know, get that lost moment in the elevator. But at some point, the doors open up. And God meets us in meditation. And all of a sudden, we see life very differently. Very differently. We're, we're not seeing life from the first floor. Now, what's interesting is we're still at the same address, right? My life all of a sudden didn't change. The stuff in my life is still very similar to what it was before. But in meditation, my perspective on my life changes. And so without it, I think we're in a hard place to really draw near to God. I don't think we really can draw near to God without learning how to meditate on the things of God. Look in your outline there in Psalm, <clears throat> Psalm 1, <clears throat> verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, interesting in this passage, you and I are going to do some meditating on something, right? Our minds are built by God to be filled with thought, to be contemplating things, to absorb ideas and have them rub against how we think and what we're feeling. So you are doing meditation even when you don't know you're doing meditation. Now, here's a dangerous thing because in this passage, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Look at the, you have the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, and the seat of scoffers. When you just live in this world, that's what's available for you to meditate on. All right, so if you say, you know, hey, Keith, I'm not real big on the meditation thing. Man, I'm, I'm loving this series, but I'm having a hard time just finding time to do some of this. Listen, your mind's doing some of this stuff. You're drawing near to something, <clears throat> and you're meditating on things. And these are the things that are available to you. And if you don't know this, the second you walk out this door today, you're already in trouble. The stuff that's available for my mind to soak in and absorb is from the counsel of the wicked, people who are lost, who figured out a way to do life without needing God, the way of sinners, which you and I have a lifetime subscription to the way of sinners. We, we, have, we have written our own paragraphs or two, and, and we read everybody else's lives. It's the way of sinners. It's people who are disconnected from God, who are writing in some way, broadcasting in some way, this is the way you do it. Well, that's available for us to meditate on. And the seat of scoffers, right? The attitude, the scoffer is the person who scoffs at the idea that there's a God to rule over them. So you can, you can do this and you don't need to submit your life to God. You got, you know, you got the real hostile atheist who says that. And, and you know, you got the, the Christian who by his way of life is saying that. I'm busy doing life. These are important things. I've got a pressing day. I've got urgent stuff. It's all important. And so I don't have time for God. Okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the seat of the scoffer. Even though I don't, I don't want to be called a scoffer. And I, it's not my heart's desire to be a scoffer that says, I, I don't need God to rule over me. But, you know, I do that for 110 days in a row. And basically my life is saying, I don't need God to rule over me. Right, so this drawing near is, is just a critical element. And what blessing is here for those who meditate on the things of God, right? The contrast to this person is this man who delights in the law of God and in his law, he meditates. Now, this man is a blessed man in this passage. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. He's fruitful. He's not withering and he's prospering in all that he does. Can I sell you some of that? Anybody want any of that? Would you like to be able to look at your life and say, I, I am a blessed man? Wouldn't you like to be able to say that? Would you like to be able to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter if there's drought conditions around me. My, my life doesn't wither. My attitude, my joy doesn't wither up. My sense of purpose in this life doesn't wither up. It's just amazing. Just, I'm just living life 
with such quality. All that I'm doing, I, I feel like is prospering. Do you like some of that? Hello. This stuff's sellable. But where does it come from for this man? Well, you know, it's an interesting picture. It's, it's a tree, if you will. That's, you know, a stream where there's just a constant flow of water. And that tree is planted. So the roots go down into the soil. But the roots have access to the moisture that never fails. So underneath the surface, this tree, even if it's been drought in the land, that stream gets its source from somewhere else. It could be mountain moisture. It could be rain from a faraway place. It could be melting snow. But there's going to be moisture in that stream. Even if the conditions around that tree haven't seen rain in weeks, that guy's still prosperous. See, this is, the, this is a picture of God's people. We have this unique access to God. And so even if our lives get out of sorts, even if our lives are like a desert and things are not going well, we have these roots that tap into a source that doesn't come from the rain of this world. We don't need it. But, but, the reality of this verse is hidden in this man delighting in and meditating on God's law. And and this is the great concern for so much of what we talk about as Christians. It's not real to us. I don't know. We've got this automatic default setting that being a child of God, being included in the people of God, all the covenant promises that are made to us, they are true but left unexperienced by many, many, many Christians. And that's my concern with this series is that we've, we've got some lofty ideas that we don't really know anything about. Some wonderful promises and richness of God that, that we haven't tapped into. And all these verses that speak of this stuff, they, they call us to draw near. They call us to pick up stakes, get closer. Let there be a reality to God's nearness in your life that, that you're affected by it. It's not just some ideas you heard about and all these phraseologies. Yeah, I got that memorized, but I, I don't experience it because I'm not, I'm not near to it. So the good of this verse is tucked away in the man who delights in and meditates in God's truth. The Psalms really are the great prayer book of the Bible. And the reason why many of us love reading the Psalms is because they're they're just people doing real life who find themselves in over their heads, broken down by this world, crying out to God. So there's no sense of how I'm lost in the doctrinal elements here. These These are people, right? And they're hurting like us and they're desperate like us. So we immediately relate to them. But it's interesting, though, that to, to see how the Psalms start here. Eugene Peterson says the text of the Psalms that teaches us to pray doesn't begin with prayer. Right? It begins with meditation. We are not ready to pray. We are wrapped up in ourselves. We are knocked around by this world. All right, if we're going to draw near to God. You and I might need to unbolt from the noisy lives that we're living, 
right? So this is an important thing because some of us are going to go through this series and never realize I'm not experiencing whatever you had in mind for this series. I'm not going there. Well, this might be why. You might be so bolted into the noise of your own life that you don't ever learn to hear the voice of God comfort you, care for you, inspire you, empower what you're doing. Look at this great thought from A.T. Pearson. He says, he who rushes into the presence of God to hasten through a few formal petitions and then hastens back to outside cares and pursuits does not tarry long enough to lose the impression of what is without and get the impress of what is within the secret chamber. He does not take time to fix his mind's gaze on the unseen and eternal. Many, a so-called praying man, quote-unquote, has never once really met and seen God in the closet. The soul, disturbed and perturbed, tossed up and down and driven to and fro by the worldly thoughts and care, can no more become a mirror to reflect God than a ruffled lake can become the mirror of the starry heights that arch above it. Listen, he taps on two things here, right? There are, there are unseen and eternal realities. There are unseen and eternal realities. Can you just right, help me by starting to meditate with me because this is a workshop. Right, You've got to think along with me here. There are unseen, which means they're what? Unseen. See, this is how you start to deep, deeply think about stuff. <laughs> they're unseen and they are eternal and they are realities. But you don't see them, at least not with these eyes. You can see them by faith. You can see them with the abilities God has given you. But you see them in... His light, we see light. Remember a couple of weeks ago. And so I've got to draw near to God to have the ability to start seeing things that from a distance remain unseen to me. All right, so right now, if I've been busy flying by the seat of my pants, doing life, it's quite possible that there are unseen and eternal realities all around you that you have left unseen. You just didn't notice them. But they're realities. They shape your life. They touch your life. They inform your life. They, they inspire a sense of hope. They may be, they may be like the, the chariots that Elijah's servant couldn't see. Remember, he's freaking out, right? He's looking at life. Here comes the opposing armies. We're surrounded. We're going down, Elijah. But Elijah was a man who lived near to God, and he was able to see. No, 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 no. We are encircled by the unseen, eternal, real chariots of God. And so he's not freaking out because he sees something that the other guy right with him in the same circumstance doesn't see. Right, so there are unseen and there are eternal realities. And there's this, this sad commentary. Many, a so-called praying man has never once really met and seen God in the closet. This is a hard thing to admit. That our lives lack reality. We don't come in contact with these things. These things are not real to us. And the outcome of that is going to be at some point 
in some way, you're going to conclude Christianity is a dud. It's not, not that important. This stuff is not that critical. Why, why make time for what doesn't have any impact? It's not real. Right, so be very concerned that there is a reality to God beyond paper that you and I are called to experience and to not experience is a dangerous condition. Remember drawing near, Charles Spurgeon helped with this, our drawing near is not physical since God is always equally near to our bodies. It is mental and spiritual and therefore to such an approach there must be an intelligent knowledge and apprehension of the Lord. And this is where meditation comes in so critically. We are seeking to draw near to an actual existing being who is already self-defined. He is a certain way. So this is not, meditation is not just this, well, let me just come up with whatever concept. Let me just let my mind roam and build whatever concept of God that I feel like brings comfort to me. No, 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 no. To, To actually encounter the living God is to encounter a real being who is real. Therefore, he already exists. He's always existed. There's not a one of us who ever gets permission to define who he is. Well, well, to me, God is like, should never come out of your mouth. It doesn't matter to you. To you, I mean, we don't have acid trip. To, to me, the world is square. So what to you? It is what it is. You either get to discover that the world is what it is, or you make up something like you're high on something. Well, to me, God would never do that. To you? Really? How old are you? How many places have you been to? How much do you know? To you? What does it matter to you? Well, I just, you know, I just like to get quiet and just let my mind roam. Um, No, no. The blessing is in meditating on God's truth, that he has revealed himself. He is a certain way, and we get to discover who he is. And then in that intelligent knowledge, we can apprehend God. So meditation is pretty, pretty darn important. I think I put your outline there. This is the work of meditation, without which I don't believe we are very capable of drawing near to God. This is a great concept. I think we're all hungry and eager to draw near to God. But without meditation, I don't think any of us are capable of drawing near to God. We've got to do this. Tim Keller says, there is a middle ground between prayer and Bible study. A kind of bridge between the two. While deep experiences of the presence and power of God can happen in innumerable ways, the ordinary way for going deeper spiritually into prayer is through meditation on Scripture. Right now, this this is interesting, and this I love Tim's book. He great insights on some things. Now, he's actually saying there is a middle ground between this and prayer. Right, so there's something in between here, where we read God's Word and then we meditate on it, and prayer becomes a different event for us. Now, if he's saying that about this. And prayer, what on earth would we be saying about daily stuff and prayer? 
right? How many of us just race from noisy, daily stuff, squeeze a moment, grab a two-second thing, hoist up a prayer, and, and see, this is a danger. We call it a prayer life, right? And over the course of our lives, it's, it's more like panic mail to God. It's one directional. It's just worrying out loud. I carry my, that's a good phrase. Hold on to that phrase. And ask yourself that because I, I can, I can be praying for 20 minutes and like, like a sensor needs to go off on my dashboard, some red light, Keith, you're not actually praying. You are just worrying out loud. It's not, that's not prayer just because God exists and you're talking out loud and you're just worrying out loud. That's not prayer, dude. But busy life caught up in things, minds embedded in what's happening and what's coming next. There's got to be something in between that and prayer. If there's something in between this and prayer, there's got to be something in between that and prayer. And if you and I don't ever do that, listen to these ideas about drawing near. What the heck does drawing near even mean? If this doesn't inform me and by the Holy Spirit, I don't let that seep down into me and engage me, awaken things in me, cause me to think differently, right? Get on the elevator and get to a different floor and have a different perspective on everything as a result. That's what meditation does. Again, Tim Keller says, persons who meditate become people of substance who have thought things out and have deep convictions, who can explain difficult concepts in simple language, and who have good reasons behind everything they do. Many people do not meditate. They skim everything, picking and choosing on impulse, having no thought-out reason for their behavior. Following whims, they live shallow lives. The people who meditate can resist pressure, but those who do not go along with the throng, chaff-like, wherever it is going. This is, this is insightful. This is like a medical diagnosis of an epidemic that's occurring in the land. I find in the body of Christ today, amongst the usual Christian, the idea of having deep convictions and good reasons behind everything they do is becoming rarer and rarer. Now, I'm not even trying to say that you need to have the same convictions that I have in categories of life. I'm just saying you ought to have convictions. You ought to have things in your life that run deep, that don't get blown over by whatever the next windy idea that blows into your life, that has an opinion about something, whatever it is. How you do this with a relationship, how you do something with your money, your view of heaven, your view of universalism. Is everybody all suddenly just okay with God? Somehow, just at the, in the end, it all just comes out in the wash. Do you have any convictions about the centrality and vital criticalness of the person of Jesus Christ, who he was and what he did? Or does that become disposable ever in your life? Does living your life not require him? Does going to heaven not require him? I mean, you and I are living in an age, the culture is shifting so fast. I think it needs to ask us to put a seatbelt on. It's changing so quickly. 
And it's amazing how 10 years ago, Christians had some convictions about marriage and today they've got a different set of them. Really? Where'd you get them from in the first place then? Listen, it's one thing, and do this carefully, it's one thing to change your color palette, right? You know what that means? You know, there used to be certain colors that were in, and now those colors are out. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, your house is probably so outdated. (laughs) But, you know, at some point, you know, this particular color was the color, and now this is the color. You know, shag carpet. I think shag carpet's actually coming back, so I'm having a hard time picking on that one. But at some point, that was the way to do that. All right, now, if, if you've got convictions in those areas, it doesn't really matter, right? Those are convictionless issues. But there are other things about life that you and I draw from Scripture, right? Scripture doesn't say anything about shag carpeting. Scripture doesn't have anything to say about colors. You're free to love whatever color you want to love. But the Scripture's got some things to say about morality and relationships and how to approach God, etc. You and I are not free to have a different opinion than what God has to say about those things. But if we don't meditate on scripture, if we don't soak in it, we don't develop convictions. And so we're like the chaff that gets blown. Whatever comes up today, strong wind blows. You used to be over here. Now you're over there. Let's redefine marriage. We're all all over here now because, man, the culture blew really, 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 really hard. And now there's lots of Christians who have new ideas about what marriage is supposed to be. Where'd you get your first set of ideas? Why'd you take time to get convictions that reflect what the Bible says? It might be that God said something that actually matters and we should spend time knowing it. Good reasons behind everything they do. Not just impulsive, do whatever, follow the latest trend, or you saw somebody else do it this way, you did it. Good reasons for everything you do. This is the fruit of meditation in our lives. Now, unfortunately, not every Christian can be described that way. There are plenty of Christians who are, they're not tree-like meditating on God's word and their roots run deep in the things of God. And so they're always informed by this eternal river that God has provided for us. They're chaff-like. You know what chaff was? Chaff is, is the husk and the light material that's around grains and wheats and corn. And, right? So you get that stuff off and it just kind of dries out. And then when the wind blows on it, it's just a dust cloud. It moves it all over the place. So today the chaff blew this way and tomorrow it blew over there. And then after that, it blew over there. Well, what creates chaff-like conditions? Well, in that Psalm we just read, chaff-like conditions get created by the guy whose roots don't run down deep because he doesn't desire and meditate on God's law. So meditation is pretty pretty darn important to us, right? It's the elevator that brings us near to God's presence. God has revealed himself most clearly here. So when I draw near to this, I'm going to draw near to God. It's going to happen because this is where God's most clear. And Tim Keller says to meditate is to ask yourself questions about truth, such as these are great questions. I got a slide for this one. I think I did. Yeah. 
Am I living in light of this? In light of what? Well, what you just encountered in God's word. What you just read as a revelation about God. Am I living in light of this? What difference does this make? That's a great question. You read something about God and the character of God and what God has said about life and you ponder for a moment, what difference does this make to me? Am I taking this seriously? It's a promise. It's a promise from the living God who is faithful to his word. Am I taking that seriously as I engage the next thing I'm doing? If I believed and held to this, how would that change things? When I forget this, how does that affect me and all my relationships, right? Those are just great meditation questions. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to actually do some of this together. So turn to Psalm 103 with me. We're going to think together about this psalm. Let me give you some background as to why I'm picking this psalm. I'm picking this psalm because I needed help from this psalm in the last few months. In the the season where my dad was dying... And coming to grips with that strange reality, and if I've talked to you at all about the passing of your loved ones or your family members, um, I'm just in touch with this personally, that strange disconnect, that sense that this person has been in my life from the beginning. Every season, every chapter, every frame, they have been a part of this. And suddenly, no more. They will not be in another picture. They will not be in another day. They will not touch another season of your life and what you have shared together, you will no longer share. And we've kind of been living in this this pattern for a while. Um, the last couple of years, we've had Gina's grandmother died. She was just more than a grandmother. She was just in our lives and in my wife's life in a huge way. Uh, then my, my mom died. Uh, Gina's uncle died, particularly before, before his time, but he was like a family patriarch. We were very close to him. Uh, my dad died. And I know this is not foreign to you guys. I've been to four funerals just in the month of January. And so this, this sense of expiration, it gets, it gets in your head in a strange way that all this time, you know, and, and, you know, and if we're meditating, we're, we're thinking out loud with God. It's good. We're wrestling with these things in the presence of God. So I'm wrestling and arguing thinking and questioning. No, Lord, we are called by you to intimately connect our lives with others. You have called on us to do that. The script of our life flows out of the influence of these people in our lives. You've called us to honor them, to love them, to make a space for them in our hearts in a unique way to travel through some of the most dangerous territory, to create some of the most incredible and meaningful memories of our lives. And then suddenly, expiration, it's over. 
but, but then you keep going. It's like this was, there was this weird element as we walked through this season of it, it didn't feel right to keep going. You know, it, it felt like, well, it, if they've stopped, should we just keep going on? We just keep going. We just keep doing life like we've always been doing life. We've always done life. They were on board. We'll just keep doing life. They're not on board anymore. We'll just keep doing life. It felt like this awkward sense of, well, you, you were meaningless. We can still do this without you. I thought, no, no, it doesn't feel right. They meant something. And it just feels weird to go on without them. And so this is, this is what I'm wrestling through these feelings and I'm arguing with God. And I, I needed Psalm 103. Look in verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. Now, if you stop right there, that's a tough verse to swallow. And, and, and it's an incredible picture, an amazing picture. And God does a very effective job here. Because it just feels like this picture of an empty field with the wind blowing over it, like some prairie that just went through its season where some wildflowers sprung up. And as fast as they sprung up, they lasted for a few weeks or months. And then they just kind of wilted over and died, disappeared. The wind blows across that plain and they're there no more. And that field doesn't even remember them. It just goes on. I thought, that's how this feels. And that's not a pleasant feeling, right? It's a very empty, lonely, disconnected, is there any meaning kind of a feeling. And so that's, that's real life. That's really how life feels. But you keep reading. And into that moment, this voice is the next thing you hear in this psalm. But, right, you're in this lonely prairie. But, Keith, unlike that, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, right? Life sometimes serves up the most powerful, awkward, challenging, difficult lessons in contrast to that, in contrast to, wait, that was just temporary, Wait, we, we did all that life together. It was just temporary. It's done. Yes. But unlike that, the covenant steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It never dies. It never goes Gail, your face did not help me just now. 
See, this, here is God's revelation. Here is God's word. And when we draw near to it, we draw near to God and, and we discover his purpose and his plan. And, and listen, it may not be to my liking, but my soul was helped by the fact that it is by God's design. Because I know something about God. I know God is wise. God is loving. God is purposeful. God has my best and my existence at heart. But I needed to get near to God and I need to have the creator of the universe tell me, Keith, I've, I've created some things to be temporary and secondary as well. Doesn't mean they weren't important and they weren't supposed to be important to you. But they are temporary and they are secondary, unlike me, who is not temporary to you and who is never secondary to you. I am primary and I am permanent in your life. And my, my countenance is lifted by that. My life is affected by that reality. Listen, I am a... My wife, I don't know how she deals with this. Well, she's sort of this way too, so we're not good for each other. A sentimental basket case. I think that's probably the best label. Sentimental basket case. So, you know, every season that the kids exit out of, we're getting farther and farther from that and it will never be again either. It's torturous to me. I mean, stinking torturous. If I could give them some kind of medication that would stunt them for it, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't even tell them I'm giving it to them. It just, it just suddenly, they'd just be stuck in this location for life. I, I need, for the sake of my soul, I, I, I need to sit in this verse and soak in it and to realize in the grand plan of the God of this universe, there are temporary things and there are permanent things. There are primary things and there are secondary things. And see, this is the great tragedy of having God at a distance. When God is at a distance, temporary things are very close. They always are. Secondary things are very close, but what is primary to us can't rescue us because it's too far away. We've got God in the binoculars, right? We're staring at God way, 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 way over there. And you don't understand my whole life had become about this person, you know, spouse dies or children, you know, This was it for me. I had taken secondary things and I had made them permanent and primary things. And so when, when they became like what this passage said, they always were. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And I have taken something that is secondary and I, I, it's dust and I've built my life on dust. And so when that dust does what dust does and it blows away. My whole life is upside down. I'm so disoriented. Well, what happened? Well, from the beginning, God said, this has always been true. You need to draw near to me. 
the one who is primary and permanent, the one whose love never fails. And and I'm not like the grass of the field. And I'm, I'm not like the wind just blows and, you know, hey, God was there and then God was gone. God was important and God's not existing anymore. That's not God. But I don't benefit from that when God is way over there and my life needs a God who is near to me. And so this, this is what meditation does for us. Here, let me do a little workshop because this little, this Psalm, you know, once God got me into this location, he sucked me into the whole Psalm. He's kind of like that. Remember, Keller says this, to meditate is to ask yourself questions about truth, such as, am I living in light of this? What difference does this make? It makes a big difference. Am I taking this seriously? If I believed and held to this, how would that change things? When I forget this, how does that affect me and all my relationships? Here, listen to this. This is a great further thought from Mr. Keller. And meditation on scripture is applying it. This is what meditation is. It's applying it. It's thinking how it affects you. Describes you. How does this verse describe me? It guides you in the most practical way. It is drawing strength from the scripture, letting it give you hope, letting it give you hope, right? These things are written down so that they will draw us to hope. Listen, but they don't have hope in and of themselves. Only the God who gives life to them provides hope. This is a book by Shakespeare about some power source that never gets mentioned. We don't know if any of this stuff's ever going to come to pass anyway. This book draws us to God who makes us to have hope. Using it to remember how loved you are. That matters sometimes when life hurts. Meditation is taking the truth down into our hearts until it catches fire there and begins to melt and shape our reactions to God, ourselves, and the world. To God, ourselves, and the world. I need to take God's word down into my heart until it catches fire. How many of you guys would admit, you can show your hands on this, I'll put my glasses on. How many of you guys would admit there's lots of scriptures that are not on fire in my heart? I mean, they're there. You've read them. You've sat through, you've read the Bible before, but see meditation sets them on fire. And there are certain moments when I just can't have a library. It's got to be on fire. I need it to affect my soul. All right, go back to the beginning of Psalm 103. Let's just pick up a quick couple of thoughts here. Psalm 103 says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Right. All right, meditate with me on this. All right, you just read that passage. You know, you're doing your devotional. 
your mind already is trying to remember whether, it's ga- whether there's gas in the car or not. Did you charge your cell phone, right? It's- all right, so you, you very likely, you, all you're going to do is read the passage, very likely. But meditating on it means stepping into it and getting it all over you. It's going to be messy. It's going to stick to you, right? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me. This is, this is a man full of a desire to have a head-on collision with God. He just doesn't bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's, he's talking to himself, right? I was with one of the pastors this week and he was talking about his wife having devotions. He's, and they live alone now. They used to have a house full of kids. And he says, man, you walk by the room, it's noisy. It's noisy in there, man. She's shouting and she's saying stuff. This is a guy yelling at himself. This is a guy, I don't know if he's got like a microphone going to his stomach or not. But, you know, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Should be slacking in there. Bring it, right? I mean, he's yelling at himself and all that's within me. Hey, not just my soul, everything, the insides of my toenails, everything. Bless his holy name. This guy wants game. This guy wants reality. This guy is done with just having concepts on a page. This guy wants to be lit up by the reality of who God is in his life. I know it sounds crazy to talk to yourself. But in reality, it's crazier to listen to yourself. Right? When you let your weird, funky soul start talking back to you, it says some really bad stuff. I don't know what it's reading, but man, it's just repeating some stupid ideas, isn't it? Things that aren't true, things that will never be true. But boy, it can imagine stuff. And we listen. Like, wait, 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 don't interrupt me. I'm, I'm tuning into the broadcast. It's just horrible stuff, right? We would do better to yell at our souls, tell our souls things. Verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All right, well, all right, soak in this for a minute. If this passage is telling your soul not to forget, what did you just learn about yourself? You have a tendency to forget. And this was written long before the information age, and most of us thought we were losing our minds anyway. This is just informing us that the human condition has this tendency to forget, to misplace things, to, oh, I didn't didn't know that existed for me. So this is the condition. But forgetting not is an act of intentionality. You and I are going to not forget something. We're going to have to be very intentional about it. Remember this psalm we looked at a couple weeks ago. Psalm 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Now, here's a theological reality that this psalm is not really trying to highlight. The Lord is at my right hand. All right, theologically, that's always true, theologically. But the psalmist comes in contact with that truth. It's not just a piece of truth on a page. For him, it is, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, because I know he's at my right hand. I've set the Lord before me. I have drawn near to God. 
I have been affected by an exchange with God that is real. And because I know that, my heart is glad. I'm not shaken. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And do you see the difference between drawing near and not drawing near in this passage? Is God with you? Yes. Did you know he was with you? I forgot. Is that why you're so scared to death? Is that why you freak out every time your bank account looks a certain way? Is that what makes you panic at the thought of that lump wasn't there recently? But did you remember that the Lord is with you? Remember he promised that? Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot that. Does that mean he wasn't with you because you forgot? No, but it just means you forgot. And if you forgot, you live like he's not there. So in some way, he might as well not be there then. Because you live like he's not. And you have confidence about your future like he's not. And you have uncertainties and fears like he's not. And you're shaken and you should be. Because if you're doing this thing on your own, if you're questing through life and God is not with you, you should be shaken. I can't have worse news for you today than that. You're on your own. Your resources, your ability in an unpredictable future in a harsh world. Good luck. That's a bad situation. And, and you will feel like that's how my life feels until I have set the Lord intentionally before me. Because I know he's at my right hand. It makes all the difference in the world. Now look what's interesting here in this passage. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now this is a, this is a fun word here. And it's a real interesting double blessing that it's going to present some things to us. But my question for us is, what benefits are at the top of your valuables list? What benefits would you like to have God provide for you? What kind of things could God bring into your life that you'd say, oh, now that, that's, that's pretty valuable. That's, that's what I needed. Now God's showing up with the stuff I needed. Right, the problem is our list and God's list of what's valuable don't always look the same. Right? And I put this in your outline. These are the most important categories of our lives, whether or not we realize it or our culture has taught us to value them. Right, this little list you're about to get is the most important stuff of life. Your culture will never teach you this. Your culture has ignored it. Your culture is saying something else is valuable. Your culture says your life needs a benefit that's outside of this list. Panic if you don't have it. Be obsessed with it. Get up early, stay up late. These things are the highways of thought upon which the nearness of God travel. If I never or seldom meditate in these categories, I will seldom encounter God. If you meditate on the stuff of this world and you think I got to have that and that's the benefit that I'm after and you try and draw near to God down those highways, you and God are going to be strangers. God doesn't live on those highways. He doesn't travel those highways. These are the highways where you're going to run head on into God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Verse 3, who forgives all your Iniquity, benefit number one. This God forgives my iniquity. This is the God who brings the benefit of 
forgiveness. Now, I don't, I don't know if you're like me, you maybe didn't wake up in the morning with all that you've got going on saying, you know what, if I don't get to any of that, I have forgiveness today. So everything else doesn't kind of nearly matter a whole lot. I have forgiveness. See, because the greatest need that ever has existed for any human being is to be restored to the life of God. Everything else is simply life that results from disconnection. All the trouble, all the heartache, all the emptiness, all the lack of purpose, it's the result of, I'm not restored to God. Well, why aren't you restored to God? Because there's this big sin issue between us. And unless that sin gets forgiven, you and I can never be restored to God. So the biggest benefit of God in our lives is that he has forgiven our sins in Christ. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Now, if, you, if you're theological, don't forget that and start thinking about it. Where does it take you? Well, if God has broken down the separation barrier between me and him and he has restored himself to me right now, that means God is with me. And since forgiveness is in my life and God is no longer rewarding me, Hebrews says, according to my iniquities. So he's not giving me what I deserve. He's giving me what I don't deserve. And what is that? He's giving me grace. He's giving me the inheritance of being a son. I have a new relationship with God. That's not what my old relationship was. Well, how might that benefit me today? Well, it might benefit me a lot if I knew my father is for me. He's got this giant inheritance. He's working in my favor. There's no separation between us. Remember these things. He forgives all our iniquity. He heals all your diseases. This is the God who heals all your... Now, this is the list that the benefits that David chose to highlight here. Do not forget this. God heals all your diseases. Now, that means a few things. I'm not going to unpack a teaching on healing today. But every one of us feels the physical clock ticking. And when we get around somebody else and they tell us their diagnosis and we can identify at all with what we've seen or heard in that person, the ticking gets really, really loud. And so we begin to wonder, well, what will, what will my life be like if that happens? And, and what's the future going to be like if, if that continues or if this gets worse or if I've got what I think I've got, right? Tick. Your body is sending you signals. And that sig- those signals are messing with your mind. And the benefit of God is that, hey, God heals all our diseases. Which has both now implications and forever implications. Whatever tick, tick, tick you're hearing right now, it's temporary. It's not permanent. That condition, you can go to the doctor tomorrow and, and, and get a temporary diagnosis. It's not a permanent diagnosis because this is a God who heals all our diseases and he can do it instantly in this world. And he does, and he can do it forever in another body. And he does that. And we have a hope waiting for us in that he does verse four. He redeems your life from the pit, right? So God has reached in, purchased our life back to belong to him. He's bought it back. He's spent what needed to be spent to buy back our lives out of the mess, the pit, the meaningless existence, the destructive existence. God has bought us back from that. That's a benefit. 
He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is that haunting word in the Old Testament that when you see steadfast love or loving kindness, it's a little Hebrew word called chesed. And it is, it is this run you down, faithful, loyal, never quitting love of God in the Old Testament. It's the covenant love that God has for his people that is faithful. It does not fail. It will not leave you alone. You can't outrun it. You can't be stupid enough to make it go away. It is how God chooses to love and care for us. Don't forget that. But it's easy to forget, isn't it? What a benefit if I can bring into my soul and my mind an awareness that God is running down my life in faithfulness. He will never leave me or abandon me. He is with me in this moment, no matter how dark or difficult or confusing my life has become. God's steadfast love is just that. It is steadfast. It hasn't changed. It is near to me. Oh, but I forgot that. Exactly. That's why this verse is there. And if you and I don't meditate and we just read this quickly, we don't remember even what we read. I need to be able to recall the steadfast love of God. Lastly, the the blessing and the benefit of he satisfies you with good. That's a big word in all kinds of categories. There's good things from God that God chooses to satisfy our lives with. Don't forget that. Sometimes we just forget. I said, I think last week, just sometimes we've got no category for enjoyment of the things that God has placed in our lives. God's intending for those things to be enjoyable and to bring some satisfaction into your life through them. That's the benefit from God. Don't forget. Let me finish with this last quote here. Here's, here's the danger of forgetting, right? When we forget, forgetting is a synonym for farness. Remember, we, I think Evan mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we looked at nearness and farness as two ways that you can live your life around God, near to God, far from God. Forgetting is equivalent to farness. When I forget things, they get far from me. Now listen, this is so insightful and helpful. I hope it makes you want to read the book. Tim Keller, he says, a Christian's meditation along these lines might go something like this. When I forget that I am justified by faith alone, right? When I forget that thought, I give place to guilt and regret about the past. I therefore live in bondage to idols of power and money that make me feel better about myself. Can you guys, you're meditating with me, right? You're engaged. You're not just listening, right? You taking this in? Because this is about to reveal for some people why I am the way I am. Listen carefully. When I forget I'm justified by faith alone, I give place to guilt and regret. So I begin to traffic in guilt and regret. I got a lot of guilt and I got a lot of regret and I'm bumping into it a lot. I therefore live in bondage to idols of power and money that make me feel better about myself. 
Right, so you start having guilt and regret going on on the inside of you. At some point, you want to silence that. At some point, you want to fix that. You want to make that quiet down, back down. What makes you feel better about yourself? Well, power and money for some people. For others, it's just acceptance by anybody on any conditions. But what are you doing in that moment? I'm trying to fix the guilt and the regrets. I've got a lot of shame. I've got issues in my past. If I'm successful, if people look to me, if I have power and I'm, I'm somebody who's got a title, I, I, that silences that for me. No, well, it drowns it out temporarily, doesn't it? Till you lay your head on your pillow at night and that stinking thing gets loud, loud, loud again. And it just drives you the next day. You live a driven life. Well, what's the problem here? You have forgotten something. You have lived far from the truth in meditating that God has accepted you in his beloved completely. No more performing. No more having to be. No more being successful at some level or acquiring some impressiveness before people. Be released from that. But you only will be released from that when you remember these things. When I forget I'm being sanctified through the presence of God's Holy Spirit. I give up on myself. I stop trying to change. And who wouldn't? You've tried, you've tried, you've failed, you've failed, you've tried and you've failed. And it's just you against this thing. And this thing's 38 and 0 against you. So why try? Well, the only reason why you could possibly quit is because you think something superior has just overcome something inferior, which means you've forgotten that the God of glory is at work inside of you, right? I just forgot. It, that just got far from me. When I forget the hope of my future resurrection, I become afraid of aging and death. That's that physical ticking that you hear. Last thing, when I forget my adoption into the family of God, I become full of fears. I don't pray with candor, with honesty. I lose my confidence. I try to hide my faults from God and myself. All right, those are just great illustrations and examples of what our life starts to feel like when we forget the benefits of God. And remember, forgetting is just another word for farness. God is so far that I can't hear him yell these things to me. I can't hear him affirm them to me. I can't hear the realities of them. And I'm becoming a weirdo. If I wasn't already. (laughs) Most of us were weird starting the game and we just get weirder as things go on. What what is it that fixes this? Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and everything within me. Bless his holy name and don't forget his benefits. And those benefits are the ones that you and I need to pay attention to. Don't forget these benefits. It'd be different than the benefits you were hoping for. But they're the benefits that I need. Here's what my soul really, really needs. So here's what I want to conclude just by encouraging us in this. All right, what you and I just did together was hang out in Psalm 103. We just sat down in Psalm 103. We didn't just read it, though, did we? 
We, we read it and listened. We had some talk and discussion. We talked about our real lives. Right, right. For me, the epicenter for even looking at these passages was watching the people in my life expire. That was real. That was emotional. That was effective. Right? That's how life is sometimes. But I, I needed to draw near to God through his word. I needed to get around God and let God begin to talk to me about these things in my life. That's meditation. I need to sit in that long enough. Listen, this was not, this was not a cursory reading for me. This was reading over and over and over again and stopping. Reading one verse and contemplating and talking to God and praying it back and saying to him and, and beginning to sense the nearness of God in his word and in my life. And listen, you and I, we will not draw near to God without meditating on God. So whatever's got to happen, you've got to have a category. I've got to have a category of meditating on God's word. Otherwise, God will continue to be a stranger. Listen, we need to form a, a, a special booth out there. The Christian dud booth. How many of you would like to just turn your Christianity back in? It's a dud. Mine just didn't go off. I don't know what the heck he's talking about, but this thing's a dud. I don't sense any power. I, don't, I feel like the first half of that description by Mr. Keller there. I got a lot of regret going on. I've got a lot of shaking going on. Got a lot of shame going on. Right? I'm in touch with all those things about my life. I, I don't know what you're talking about. This Christianity feels like a dud. Because if you want to feel it, you're going to have to draw near. And if you want to draw near, you're going to have to meditate. And if you want to meditate, you might actually have to make some time to do it. And listen, I'm with you. But you want to live the rest of your life thinking Christianity is a dud just because you took time to thumb at something all day long? Really? Is that really that important? There's a lot of stuff on our to-do list that doesn't come close to meditating and drawing near to God. And at some point, you and I are going to have to be unfriendly. Can you unfriend stuff like that in your life? There's a little button for that, isn't there? I'm going to unfriend that stuff in my life so that I can do this. Otherwise, I'm a walking brochure for the Christian dud universe. I'm trying to rejoice, but I don't have any rejoicing in me. But I know I'm supposed to, so when I come to church, I act like I'm smiling. That's not quite what God had in mind. He actually had rejoicing in mind. Let's stand up and pray together. Lord, I think we are all in touch with the realities of life that scream at us and tell us we cannot afford to forget God. We cannot live this life. We certainly can't live the life that you have given to us and promised us if we are far from you. And Lord, if we desire to be near to you, Lord, your word is critical. 
Because we can't really know you without your spirit opening your word to us. And therefore, we can draw near to who you really are. So God, I pray for us this week that as we walk into the days that come, the events that we're facing, the responsibilities that we have, Lord, that we would desperately learn to be a people who need some meditation time, who need to be near to you, who need our souls affected, who need to talk to our souls about who you are and what you're about, that we not forget the benefits of our God. So we want to be a church. We want to be a people who know something about drawing near and our life desperately needs for us to draw near. So Lord, in your mercy, would you convince us of this yet again? Would you mark our lives? Well, we started this year with these thoughts because we want this year to be characterized by this. Lord, I want this year, I want 2015 to be etched in stone right next to the words nearness of God. Oh Lord, let it be true and let it be all the benefit you wanted it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Y'all be blessed this week.